0: Play for
2: free at Luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary.
1: Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Euros with Football Social Daily.
2: Countdown is on. England have wrapped up their final Euros warm-up game last night with a 1-0 win over Romania. And now all eyes are on the tournament getting underway this coming Friday. England's first game, of course, is against Croatia on Sunday. This is Football Social Daily. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be waving our flags. We're going to be singing anthems. We're going to be learning how to say var in a variety of European languages, we're getting all euros in your grill. In other words, I'm Jim Salverson, I've got Monsieur Anderson on the podcast this morning. Bonjour,
1: Marley. Uh, morning. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna be like Amanda Holden in the uh, you know the Eurovision when she just came on and went. Hello and something else, <laughs> but I don't know what language you're uh, you're speaking in. You so. and you,
2: you're funny foreigners, <laughs> your funny <laughs> languages. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit embarrassing, wasn't it? Alongside Monsieur Anderson, we've got Herr McCorn as well. Guten Tag, Niall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know very little German. I can do some Spanish for you, but German is completely out of my skill set. Well, we'll try and
2: improve our ability to speak European languages as the tournament rolls on but we are getting excited about the Euros now, under a week to go and we're going to talk England today, not just with a view on last night's game but also with regards to how they look going into the European Championships and if we should be getting excited about England's potential in the tournament. Plus we're going to round up the latest transfer news on the podcast including Aston Villa's new midfield signing Leicester City making some reasonably exciting moves in the market and a potential bargain for a Premier League club from one of the relegated teams as well. Plus, don't forget, if you do fancy a flutter on the Euros, then Football Social Daily sponsor Boyle Sports are doing a free bet deal right now that runs right the way through the Euros. Bet £10 on any England game and get their no-lose promo. So if your bet wins, you get your winnings, obviously. If it loses you get your stake back as a free bet. You can find out more via the Boyle Sports app or visit BoyleSports.com. T's and C's apply, 18+, bet responsibly and BeGambleAware.org. But let's talk England versus Romania first. Before we get into the game itself, we do need to talk about the ugly scenes at the start of the match, which I think we're all probably getting a little bit bored of seeing and a little bit bored of talking about. There's been plenty of opposition on social media and people saying, oh, they don't like the taking the knee. But now we've got fans back into stadiums. We're seeing a reaction to it from the fans in the stadiums as well. So there was booing from some of the fans in the Riverside Stadium as the players took the knee before kickoff. Were you shocked to hear it, Marley, or were you kind of expecting this reaction? Um,
1: I, I was more, I was, I don't know if I was shocked. I don't, I don't know if "shocked" is the right word because nothing really shocks me when when it comes to stuff like that. Where, um, ever since, ever since twenty sixteen, and we voted for Brexit, it was it was essentially a very similar sort of thing. You you know, it was more of a thing then when I think a lot of people who are racially insensitive voted voted for brexit i think that was basically what it was so ever since then you know when things like this happen when political statements happen um you know like we all we all know it is a bit uniform this knee and it, it is a bit sort of routine now and it, it maybe has lost its impact but but that's not why it's getting booed though is it it's not ex- getting booed because people yeah. are bored of it yeah no that's 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 the thing that's people are are just being divs about it you know <laughs> with it's it's just you know we we explained this week and Southgate did a, what I think was a really good job of saying look we think it's important so we're going to continue to knee. Everybody's seen that. There's been nothing else going on in the last week that would hide you as a football fan from knowing why England are doing that. You know the the football's finished, the Premier League's finished. There's nothing else on the back pages. So when it happened on on uh, was it Tuesday or Wednesday night when we played Austria? You know it was talked about in the in the, the 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 days after, and Southgate was saying, look, it's still important to us. We've got a lot of black players. They all still feel like they need to do it, so we're going to continue to do it. And everyone kind of... Well, you assumed everyone was kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, at least we've, we've said something. We're not just, like, ignoring it and being cheap and and just following everyone else. But then, you know, it comes to kick-off at, at Middlesbrough, and as soon as the players drop to the knee, idiots start booing. And, mm. you know, you seen. I don't know if you two have seen it. that that friggin' idiot on um, Twitter recording yeah. himself booing the TV. Oh come on, man! I don't even know if that's real. Like, are you are you actually do people do people actually do that? Because he needs a good kicking. He's got like, like, a Union Jack in his Twitter handle, yeah. hasn't he? <laughs> like, and he's like... got he's got an England tattoo on his arm. Yeah, ah, f- off, man, get out <laughs> of it, man! You know what I mean? It's just it's it's ridiculous, like. It's 2021, for God's sake. What are you booing at? You, you're booing that black people want equality. Are you joking? What's wrong with that? <laughs> That's the, what you're booing at. You're essentially booing because you're you you you're a bit racist. So
2: One of the things that makes me laugh about it was a certain group of fans that were against it or booing or making motions on social media anti the uh, BLL movement and the taking the knee of saying, oh, it's a Marxist movement. Oh, we don't like it. We don't support it because it's Marxist. I mean, if any... Football fan can explain to me what Marxism is, I would be impressed. I don't think it's the kind of thing that bothers football <laughs> fans in general, the <laughs> objection to the Marxist movement. It is just an excuse. I mean, I mean, is there much difference now between this, between booing the act of taking the knee and racist chanting in games? And should they be dealt with in similar
0: ways in that case? I think we need to be very careful when we're saying things like that. And the first thing I will say on this is I'm with Marley, I wasn't particularly shocked, which is extremely disappointing but I will say that we live in a country in which you're able to express your opinion one way or another. Now in some situations there is no right or wrong answer however in this one I think there is certainly a a right and a wrong answer. Now this whole idea that they don't like Black Lives Matter because it's a political movement, yes political movement black lives matter shares the same name as those three words which are exceptionally important in modern society but by taking a knee the england players last night weren't expressing their support for an american political organization black lives matter they were expressing their support for the notion black lives matter the three words as they are in black and white no pun intended and just quite simply on face value it's nothing to do with supporting a cause a political cause, it's to do with supporting a a moral cause. A cause which has affected so many of these players that we see on the pitch last night. And Gareth Southgate, as Marty rightly points out, I thought dealt with the situation exceptionally when questioned by the press about the booing of the taking the knee and why they're going to continue to do it. But the one thing that he said that really hammered it home for me was it saddens him. He said he was saddened and disheartened to see how desensitised and and how these players just brush it off because they've been so used to it over the years to get this abuse and to be treated differently because of the colour of their skin or at least in some quarters that's been the case And, and that surprised Gareth Southgate but you know we have to sit here and say on this podcast as three you know white blokes it's always difficult to have this conversation but it's important that we do I don't think that taking the knee and booing the taking the knee is akin to racial abuse. I don't think that's a fair comparison to make. However, I do think it is important to understand and highlight like what has already been discussed in these opening few minutes of the podcast that if you're not willing to learn and not willing to understand, then that does make you uh, uh, you know, uh, basically culpable in being complicit in the problem. It doesn't mean that you're actively pushing the problem in terms of you, you're advocating the problem you're complicit and i think that there's a there's a subtle difference between the two so i don't think it's fair to level that someone's a racist because they boo the knee i just think these people need to be educated and i thought ian wright said it excellently on punditry last night when he was uh, when he was covering the game for itv and he said we can't abandon these people these people they don't want to learn but we have to keep pushing and trying to break through because i think you know, a good example of, of, of that would be when Greg Clark got booted out of the FA and, you know, the, the top job at the FA for some of the language he used when describing, um, you know, persons of a BAME background. And he used a word which is outdated and it is archaic and has no longer got a place in our society. And I think that a lot of the people that we see going to England games that follow their country you know, fervently and with great passion, are people of a certain age demographic and a certain age group who, when they were younger and their identities were being formed and molded, they were able to use language and use words that are no longer appropriate in society. Now I'm in my mid20s and I was taught stuff at secondary school, so just over 10 or so years ago, that now you're unable to say, and this was stuff that was in the curriculum. You know, as, as, a, as a young white lad 10 years ago, I mean, this is as recently as that. And I know now, a few years down the line, that the words that were being used in school at that time, and even in some classes, are now no longer appropriate. And I've tailored my life to eliminate those words from my vocabulary. And it's not a great deal of effort to do. And it's not a great deal of effort not to boo someone taking a knee. Does it really offend you that much? Is it really attacking your identity that much? that 11 players on a pitch are kneeling down because they're sick of the abuse they're getting. I mean, if you boil it down to as basic as that, it just sounds foolish. Why would why boo the knee just just why would it why let it bother you that much? Because they are clear in their stance the England team, they're not going to stop. As Gareth Southgate is rightly highlighted, and nor should they. And listen, if they keep getting booed, I think that that could send it the other way. I think they'll be even more determined to take the knee and good on them because if that's what they want to do and that's the cause that they support as a club, uh, as a team, sorry, then that's on them uh, and that's a decision they've made as a group and who who are we and who are anyone in the ground to, to, to stop them from doing that and showing that. I think you're right, there is an
2: element of education and information that's required for some quarters but that certainly isn't going to stop all of that and it, you can't tie everyone with the same brush. It's not... Cut and dry that this person is doing it for racist reasons. This person is doing it because they misunderstand the political movement, as you pointed out. It is different situations for each person, but it is unacceptable and we don't want to see any more of it. So hopefully we don't see too much of it during the Euros if it continues during then. Uh, During the game, though, let's concentrate on what happened on the pitch. What did you make of that from England, Mali? Did we learn anything from that game that maybe we didn't know about the three lines before? Uh,
1: no, not really. Um, it's quite a, quite a dull game, really. wasn't much sort of tempo to it. I don't think Romania really wanted to to expose themselves a bit a bit too much, even though they had they had a fair sort of good couple of chances, to be honest. I think they had that first one where, mm. um, I forget who it was, it, when they cut it back to the edge of the box and the shot ended up straight at Sam Johnston. But it was, um, other than that, I think England were always in charge. It just needed a bit more pace and it, it, it all seemed a bit too friendly for me. Um, you send them for the second time in a week, the second um, second a nation in a week to just smash Jack Grealish every time he got the ball. Um, you know, I felt, I felt, I do feel sorry for him because I don't know, everybody does it. It's just like, as soon as he goes past them, it's just crack straight on the ankles and down he goes. And I think, I don't know who the number eight was for Romania, but he had a, he'll be leaving with half of Jack Grealish's tiny socks in, embedded in his studs. I think he was just booting him all over the pitch. But, you know, as soon as everything came through Grealish again, um, he he was the one who put the tempo into the the game and and beat someone and played a, a sort of progressive pass like a through pass to get somebody in down the wing or, or through the middle and uh, England were were fairly comfortable and probably should have had a couple more goals but hit the bar a couple of times and made it a bit easier for themselves but I think we learned I think we, to be fair I think the one the the main thing we learned from the game is that James brought Ward Prowse. Should be in the squad, and we've woke up this morning, and he's not been um, picked. I think it's been Ben White instead. So, I just thought Ward Prowse give a real sort of tenacity to the midfield, and uh, obviously his deliveries talked about as well for his you know his free kicks and his um, his corners and his all uh, set pieces and all the rest of it. But I thought the way he read the game in the middle of the park was was fantastic, and I thought he'd, he'd put in a performance that would tip him. Like ahead in that race of of the other lads with Lingard and and uh, White and Watkins and all the rest of them, I thought he'd done enough, especially on that performance yesterday. But it's Ben White instead, so um, yeah, ten defenders. Here we go.
2: We'll get onto that shortly because I don't want to talk about the selection of Southgate's twenty sixth man. I guess the other thing we learnt last night, Niall, was that Jordan Henderson shouldn't be taking penalties, <laughs> and certainly shouldn't be taking them off other people
0: to take penalties. You know what? Roy Keane gets a lot of stick on punditry, but he was absolutely spot on last night. Why on earth was Jordan Henderson taking that penalty? That self-indulgence and a stat was read out on commentary that I think he's the only player or one of the only players to have got 50 England caps and never scored a goal. Just before he took it, that was mentioned that it kind of like, it it put it in stone that he was going to miss it. it? But who cares about that? Jordan Henderson. Yeah, which is self-indulgence. And there's no room for that. There's no room for that when you're going into a tournament with your national team. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin should have taken that penalty. A million percent, he should have taken that penalty. I think he won the penalty, didn't he, Dominic Mm. Calvert-Lewin? So, why didn't he take it? He's a striker. He's going to be playing second fiddle to Harry Kane. What do you want your strikers to have going into a major tournament? Confidence. Scoring a penalty, even in a pre tournament friendly would give Dominic Calvert-Lewin plenty of confidence he hit the crossbar he had actually quite a good game Dominic Calvert-Lewin I thought really good header to hit the crossbar Mm. and he probably deserved to have a chance at taking that penalty instead Jordan Henderson who hasn't played for three and a half months comes on for five minutes wearing the captain's armband and thinks he should take the penalty he missed the penalty in the Columbia shootout in the World Cup in 2018 Jordan Pickford had to bail him out then because he was the England player that missed. He should be nowhere near penalties, Jordan Henderson. I know it doesn't matter that much, and England won. But still, that is the sort of thing that you just do not want before a tournament. i thought tell you what, for me, it's not really as important who was
2: taking the penalty. Like, I mean... We know who it really is. I, I don't. I don't well,
0: understand why. Why Jordan Henderson even felt that he should be anywhere well, that, near taking but, but a but that, penalty. That's, that
2: decision should be made off the pitch at some point. So we know Rashford was first. We know Ward Prowse was probably second in line to take the penalty, and then who came after that? I'm sure that decision was made. But for me, it just shouldn't be a discussion that happens on the pitch because it then doesn't matter who goes to take it. Like if Henderson has gone up to Calvert Lewin and said, "I want to take this penalty," and Calvert Lewin what he should have done is said no I'm taking it but if he's done that let's not forget this is Everton against Liverpool as well so I think that there's a little bit there that adds extra pressure on Dominic Calvert-Lewin if he goes on to take the penalty which in that circumstance in that situation you just don't need it just
0: shouldn't be something that happens on a football field I understand what you're saying but at the end of the day it's Henderson who's obviously a senior figure within the group he's not fit I mean um, Marley was talking just there about James Ward-Prowse and as you say we'll come on to it in a little bit But Henderson is obviously an important player for England when he's fully fit and he's not. Mm. And then he comes on after having not played for three months, doesn't really do much. I mean, he he played a couple of good passes towards the end of the game for sure. But missing the penalty or even taking the penalty, it just, I don't know, it just made me think, what are you doing? And again, after missing the penalty against Colombia three years ago, most people have forgotten about that. But actually, when he stepped up to take it and he missed, I thought, he did this before. Hmm. And so it's just one of those things where I think that it is a little bit of self-indulgence that has come to the fore Uh, and now reflecting it's probably good that it's come out in this friendly and not during the tournament. Because if England get a penalty and you've got two players arguing over who takes it and one of them misses, that's the worst thing. That is the worst possible thing. So. I'm a bit annoyed that Henderson took it. Um, I understand why he got some minutes because he needs to get fitness ahead of the tournament. He hasn't got long to do it. Obviously, that's the last game before the tournament begins. But he shouldn't have been taking the penalty and and I'm not going to change my mind from that. There's just no way that anyone can convince me that that was the right decision. Should have been Calvert-Lewin. You want your best finishers taking the penalties and Henderson isn't one of them. I think we can all agree he shouldn't have been taking the penalty, Marley. But should he have been
2: on the pitch? We know he needs the minutes and is a 75% fit Jordan Henderson better than the other options are in that team because it's an area, midfield, where England actually have a wealth of riches. And you look at who can play that holding midfield role. You've got Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips. Bellingham can play it. Mason Mount can play that position, although it's probably not his preferred position. So it's difficult to see Jordan Henderson, if he isn't fully fit, and I actually thought he did all right when he came on last night. But if he isn't fully fit, it's difficult to see him featuring in that England team,
1: isn't it? Yeah, well, he... um... He has a really good set of uh, party tricks and magic tricks so I'd take him <laughs> <laughs> um I don't, I don't know um I think he's I think he's almost fit so I think it's kind of slightly different to to the Maguire situation where Maguire might not play until we possibly reach out reach the uh, knockout stages but you know uh, I don't know because i've I've never sort of rated him as one of the best sort of midfielders in, in in the country or in the world because I think he plays a very simple game but I think it's, it's, his strengths are sort of hard to spot for, for normal sort of watchers of football I think tactically he, he does a lot what he's asked for but we, we don't see what he's, he's asked for as, as, um, as viewers sort of thing I think you know you talk about him at Liverpool covering the space for Trent Alexander-Arnold quite a lot and allowing him to be what he is but you know, I think for England it's slightly different because there's not that togetherness every week. So I think it would be slightly easier to get along without him. Um, but he's he's almost fit. And according to, you know, what everyone's saying, you know, is at a space where he needs, you know, a few more minutes. He got 45 minutes yesterday. He might come on for 25 minutes in the first game against Croatia. He might even start and come off after an hour. Um, but, you know... Would you take him? I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd if 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 he's if he's seventy five percent fit. I probably would, just because of. I don't know. I, I don't really know why, to be honest. I, I just would. I don't think there's much else in that. I think there's room for Ward-Prowse as well. That's that's my mm. only issue.
2: Well, we'll get onto that in a minute, as I said, before we wrap up talking about the game, because it was a game where there wasn't much to talk about, in all honesty. It seemed to lack a bit of energy. It lacked any really big chances. The goal came courtesy of Marcus Rashford, who he had a decent game last night, Marcus Rashford, I thought. But I reckon his penalty would have wound you up, Niall.
0: Um... Well, he scored, so no. <laughs> yeah, but I know... Hey, I know not much as much as Henderson's, little... <laughs> by, the, by the sounds no. of things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but those, that, those little kind of... I mean, it was, it was fair play to him for having the balls to do it, but that kind of waiting for the keeper to commit, that
0: tiptoeing up to the yeah. ball and side-footing at home, it's great when it works. He's been doing that for a while, to be fair to him, Marcus Rashford, and obviously... In the last few seasons at Manchester United, he's not been the preferred penalty taker since Bruno Fernandes has come in. He's been the one that takes penalties. And obviously Fernandes does something akin to what Jorginho does at Chelsea, that kind of weird staggered step jump thing. And then he ends up sort of tucking it home. Eden Hazard was a really good proponent of waiting for the keeper to move first and then putting the ball in either corner. You know, there's an old saying when I was growing up that you've got to make your mind up before you even put the ball down on the spot, which where you're going to go. And I don't think players take heed to that anymore. I think that there is, nice. you know, a lot of data that's been gathered and a lot of analysis that's been done about the way that goalkeepers dive. So, you know, I mean, a good example would be in that Manchester United BRL penalty shootout a few weeks ago where David De Gea didn't save a single one. And you just wonder, you know, whether with the data that's available, whether, you know, it could possibly be easier for players to know exactly what goalkeepers are going to do and and know exactly where to put the ball. But, you know, those stutters, those small short steps, big strides, whatever they want to do, mixing it up. It's all simply to put the goalkeeper off and, you know, the best thing to do is aim for the biggest part of the goal. And if the keeper stood in the middle and doesn't move, then uh, th- then obviously that gives you, you know, an equal chance in each corner. I think the one thing that I did notice that was different was like what you said, he stood and stared the keeper out, which I quite liked. Mm. I really did quite like that. Um, I think that we don't see enough of that from England in terms of the sort of mentality, the tactics of penalty shootouts, because we're also absolutely scared of penalty shootouts because we've been in so many of them like we know we're going to mess it up and I think that you know actually if it does come down to it this time a bit more of the mind game stuff I don't mind that I mean you need to try and find a way to win and you know seeing as we've got this mentality in England that penalty shootouts are a lottery which I don't think they are I think they're a chance to win the game if you score you win it's as simple as that so I just think that I'm all for that little bit of a change in mentality and a bit of steel from Rashford was good to see. And,
1: Mm. you know,
0: it would have been embarrassing, like you said, if he didn't score, but he did score. Something Jordan Henderson didn't do. So fair play to Rashford. That's all I'd say. Right. We're going to focus on the European Championships next. We're going to
2: discuss that Ward-Prowse omission and the inclusion of Ben White and how Jack Grealish will be feeling going into the tournament. And we'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. As I'm sure you are aware, as we've mentioned already, the European Championships kick off in just four days' time. England play for the first time in just six days' time versus Croatia. We've just had two friendlies, which were uninspiring games, but potentially Gareth Southgate has learnt a little about his team going into this tournament. In particular, Jack Grealish, who, as Marley said earlier, has been the standout player in these friendlies. Potentially wasn't in the starting lineup going into these matches but is he now Marley is it very difficult to leave Grealish out of his starting 11 versus Croatia now for Gareth Southgate
1: yeah 100% um his first name on the team sheet for me I think you've got to build whatever you whatever you're gonna play you've got to build it around him um to be fair I think that's that's um that's what's gonna happen if you, I think I'm not massively into the shirt numbers but at an international tournament when you give somebody the number seven for England I think that's a a key um thing of, of like a, a key little insight into what is where he is in that squad so to mm. give him the number seven shirt I think he's going to start most of the games if not all of them if he remains fit obviously and doesn't get kicked out of it by everyone like he has been doing but mm. I mean I was I was thinking last night I don't think it Jack Grealish has had a game for England where he hasn't been man of the match I can't think of one um, since he came into the team last year. I think he was, um, I think, did we play Denmark or Belgium on his debut or something? And he was mint there. He was best player on the pitch. And it was just man after match after man after man of the match. And he did it again last night. He was man of the match again. Um, and I think he's, he picks himself now for for the um, the first game against Croatia next week because he's the one everything goes through. It's, he provides the tempo and gets the team... Gets the team up the field and makes somebody commit to a tackle and opens up a gap somewhere else, and I just think he's an amazing player. So you've got to you've got to put your best players in. It's just a case of who you uh, who you drop out of the team now. So it's uh, it's a big decision, but I can see him starting ahead of someone like Foden, for example. I think we'll probably see Foden off the bench a bit more, but uh, we'll see what he goes for. But I certainly think he'll be in the uh, in the starting team and and there to be for somebody to to try and move because it's going to be a hell of a a task to to get him out of that team now.
2: Is it potentially we're seeing a similar situation to we saw with the Skulls-Lampard-Gerrard situation for England... (laughs) Niall, in that we've got some generational talents in the England midfield at the moment, but they don't necessarily all fit
0: together in the same system. So we're going to end up with Skulls out on the left or something like that. (laughs) Well, that's what Svenja and Eriksson tried to do, didn't he? Tried to cram them all in. And, you know, there was periods where it was Lampard and Gerrard in the middle, Skulls out on the left and Beckham out on the right. Now, if Mm. you put that midfield down on paper or on a team sheet, People would go, oh my gosh, look at that midfield. But it just didn't work. There were the whole you know, thing that Lampard and Gerrard couldn't play together and Scholes is wasted out on the left. And those people were probably right, to be honest. Um, and trying to crowbar all of the good players into the same system... It's like when you go on FIFA and you play as Real Madrid or something like that and you've got so many good players that you can't get them all into the same system so you end up playing a stupid formation. Um, Real football isn't FIFA and Gareth Southgate's got a decision to make in terms of who starts in those positions. The one thing I will say is I think with Jack Grealish, Marley rightly points out how he gets kicked a lot. I think he was the most fouled player in the Premier League last season which is no surprise. And at the moment, I think he is he is the one that has to start, as Marley says. For England, he's shown that he's good enough to to continue the the levels he's shown at Aston Villa, and again another man of the match performance against Romania. The only blessing I think that England have got in terms of this golden generation is I don't think this is just it at the moment. I think in Qatar in 2022, the winter of, and then the next Euros in what to be 2024. Think about how much more experience Mm. Phil Foden would have and Jadon Sancho would have and Jude Bellingham would be in his early 20s and that is the thing that's really getting me excited. Our England under-21s, although they've been rubbish under Aidy Boothroyd, the quality and the talent that they've got in that squad is exceptional. Um, Players that have shown under the age of 21 how good they can be in the Premier League Um, it's so so exciting so for me actually you talk about a golden generation I don't think this is quite it just yet I think that give it three or four years when as I say Foden is a senior player at Manchester City, much like Rashford is at United when he's still only in his early 20s. I think Foden is going to follow a similar pathway with Manchester City. When Jude Bellingham is playing regular Champions League football still as a teenager, Mason Greenwood, not even in the England squad because he had to withdraw due to injury, he'll have another few seasons uh, of playing Premier League football And Champions League football under his belt. I think that's the really exciting generation that we should all look forward to. Now, if England can try and blend the experience that they've got, for instance, the likes of Henderson, even though we've kind of uh, been a bit like sort of queried him a little bit on the show, I do think that with his experience and Harry Kane, who is sort of 27 years old and he's one of the more senior players in the squad, there's only a handful of over 30s in the England squad. So I think that, you know, if you can bleed those two together and blend the two together, I think that really, really well for the future. So I don't think it's quite this tournament. We're talking about Mm. a golden generation. I do think, though, in four years' time, in a couple of World Cups, things might look really good for us. We do fall into a habit of that as England fans of constantly looking at the
2: next generation and talking about the new talent that's coming through rather than the talent we have at our disposal because you never know how those players are going to go on to develop. But I think you're right. There's some amazing talent coming through. Potentially, when you look at this squad, the weakness is that defensive line and i guess tyron mings for what what jack grealish has done to convince gareth southgate he is important over the last two games tyron mings has potentially done the opposite and put a couple of question marks over his head marley as to whether he is worthy of a place in that starting 11 because he's been shaky but then you look at the alternatives and it's difficult to know who'd play
1: in his place with maguire injured well yeah i think um i think mings is is very, very lucky to be at a major tournament. I think he's very lucky to be in the England squad at all. Um, I, ju- I don't I don't know what it is. I just think he's, I think he he makes a lot of concentration errors and he loses his mind and he loses his focus a bit and he uses his physique to to compensate for that. So if you get a if you get the ball half a yard ahead of him, he's going through you. Um, I think there was one point in the Romania game. It was about half an hour in, but they had a, um they had like a counter attack and Ming's was the one who broke the defensive line and he came out charging to halfway, and he the, the kid just skipped round him. You could see it coming. It was one of them where it was he was cut he was in no man's land like straight away. He was easily gonna get beaten. He was always gonna get dribbled round, um because the kid got to the ball two or three seconds before him. And he went round him, and Wings just went whack and just booted him, which was the right decision. Mm. To be fair, like in in that situation, <laughs> you should do that. You should stop him. <laughs> However, you should never have been in that situation in the first place because you were never going to get the ball. Um, and in a in a in any sort of competitive game, it was a yellow card, and then you 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 know you walk in the tightrope for the end of the game. But you know, it. I mean, we see him against Austria. Just absolutely, it was like a um, an NFL safety, just absolutely smashing. Um, was it uh, the big lad to front that Kaladich or whatever he was called, just smashing him when the ball was out on the wing because there was no VAR. So, I mean, he just... He, it's like that. I put the meme on sports, sports Social's Twitter last night. He just wakes up and chooses violence every time there's no VAR. And he just <laughs> hammers everyone. He's like, right, well, this is this is a Royal Rumble now. It's not a football match. So any anytime anyone's not looking at me, I'm smashing someone. And I don't... Um, I just don't I don't agree that he's even one of the best five or six centre backs England have at their disposal I think everybody in that squad um is is better than him um even Cody Cody distinctly lacks lacks pace which is probably one of the reasons why he can he only plays in the centre of a back 3 um that he's even he's better than him in a, in a 2 because he keeps concentration and he he's, he's tactically Better than yeah, his, yeah, his positioning, his his um, mm. his talking, his communication is way way better than Ming's, I think. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd have picked Ben White and and Ben Godfrey for that matter over Ming's in the first place. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed that um that Ming's is going and, and someone like Wad Prowse isn't when we've got 10, 10 defenders in the England squad and only five midfielders, I think. So yeah.
2: Do you think that's the reason, Niall, that Ben White is now in that England squad? Because it was announced earlier this morning that the 26th man that replaces Trent Alexander-Arnold because of his injury is going to be Ben White picked over Ward-Prowse and Lingard. Is it that question mark, that concern over Tyron Mings
0: that's kind of forced the hand there a little bit? Uh, Maybe, but I think it's more telling me that Harry Maguire isn't going to play the first game. That's what it tells me. It says that Harry Maguire isn't fit, isn't going to play the first game against Croatia. It's going to be too touch and go for him and therefore they need centre-back cover. I actually think the centre-back position is England's weakest position. Mm. And, you know, obviously people are saying about centre midfield that we need some extra cover. I disagree. I think centre-back's the weakest position. I think what so Marley said about... you, is it the about, right call that Ben White is a, in yeah, I do. Ward-Prowse? It, it was... It was is that it just because Ward-Prowse plays for Southampton? <laughs> <laughs> Ward-Prowse had a very good... It is that. And uh, I'd rather see <laughs> Portsmouth do well than England do well, and I've made no secret of that. But um, I think that Ward-Prowse did himself no harm at all. He played very, very well against Romania. But uh, I think Marley said this on the podcast last week. You can't pick someone just purely because they're decent at taking free kicks and corners. That's not a reason. That's not a good enough reason to play someone in the middle of the park in a tournament game now he showed against Romania he's got a bit more about him but is that only because he knew that there was a place out for grabs and he played out of his skin because he tried his best to get into the team for the tournament you know there's always going to be that argument there by some but uh, I think Marley said something really interesting last week on the podcast where he said this isn't the NFL you can't just bring someone off the bench to take a, a, a free kick but that said,
2: if you've got Jack Grealish in your team and he is getting kicked all over the place, as we saw, he does get kicked all over the place he, and he's winning dangerous free kicks in all these areas. Suddenly that upgrades the importance of having someone who can
1: really deliver a free kick, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. But I mean, that's yeah, such but who, a... Who do you put him in the team
1: head off? You know what I mean? That's is when everyone
0: fit. It's, it's a what aboutery See, a... thing, isn't it? What about if we get a free kick? Well, mm. You don't pick a team for free kicks That's not how this game works. It's not how this sport works. You pick a team that's going to win you the game. Now, free kicks are obviously, and set pieces are obviously a huge part of the game, but it's not like England don't have players who can take free kicks. Rashford scored them in the past, Trippier scored them in the past, even Eric Dyer. I know he's not in the squad and he's not going to the Euros, but even Eric Dyer scored a free kick in a World Cup for England. So, you know, you talk, or, or in a Euros, sorry, for England. So, I mean, you're just thinking about the quality of delivery. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is obviously one of those players and he's not going. But, I mean, I wouldn't be averse to seeing the likes of Jack Grealish taking a free kick. I mean, how often do, do free kicks go in anyway? Very, very rarely. So, you know, I, I'm just thinking in terms of the decision, I think it's the right call. And I think we are light at the back. I do think Tyron Mings, as Marley says, is the weakest link of all of the defenders we've got. Connor Cody is hamstrung by the fact that he only really plays well in a back three system and doesn't have great pace. I think Godfrey was probably unlucky. I thought Godfrey's actually had a very good season for Everton. Uh, But I thought White played well last night as well. And I thought that fair enough. I mean, we need extra centre-back cover because I don't think Harry Maguire is fit and I I don't think he's going to play until the last group game. Um, He was in a protective boot like six, seven days ago. So, I mean... Expecting him to come straight into the starting eleven and play is, is a bit optimistic. So I think that that's probably the right call. I think centre-back is our weakest area, to be perfectly honest with you. Gareth Southgate's obviously had a hard think, and he's made his decision. And he's the manager, and I suppose you just got to back it. And, um, you know, it would be typical England if White makes a mistake and everyone turns around and points fingers and says, oh, we should have picked Ward-Prowse. It's like, well, come on. You know, it's just one of them things where he's made the decision, I think, that we do need cover at centre-back because of the weakness that we've got there and because of Maguire's injury. So I I don't disagree with his decision, to be honest with you, but I can see why Ward-Prowse and several advocates of his would feel hard done by because he did play well and he does offer something different with those set-pieces. 4% of free-kicks result in goals and 6% in the Premier League that answers your question not right. many okay. it's about so, so, so you're playing for 95% of the other time in the hope yeah. that there's a free so, kick so one it.
2: in every 17-18
0: eight, attempts or something like that
2: isn't it so not too no. many uh, before Jack we...
0: Grealish gets fouled a lot but not, not that <laughs> yeah, 18 times
2: in a game um, <laughs> yeah. before we move on to look at transfers which we are going to do shortly do you think these games should have happened Marley because they, they seem really close to the tournament and yes it's important to have a warm-up game for a major tournament, which England have had. But the fact that Southgate hasn't picked what we'd imagine would be his starting eleven in either of these games, the fact it is so close to a major tournament, the fact we've come off the back of a really intense, really hard season for the players, for me, all that adds up to the fact that maybe this was not the time to have these friendlies.
1: Uh, I, th- I think you've got my friendlies in, in the build-up. Um, look, you—you know—you've got to get—you got to get ready for it. I think if—if if you go into a tournament and the first time that your guys have played together is a, a group game against Croatia, I think you, you're bang in trouble if, you, if I'm honest. Because, you know, you, you're learning on the fly. You, you're thinking, you know, you've trained together, but it's completely different in a game. Um, you know, when you're trying to play against Luka Modric and and um, Ivan Raketic in midfield, and you're trying to work it out on the fly, and you're trying to you haven't played with the guy who you you're trying to build up a partnership with. I think it's uh, it's very different. So, you know, people talk about oh yeah there might be you know there might be injuries and stuff like that. that that's part of football. That's why you have a twenty six man squad. So, you know, if, if one guy gets injured another one comes in, that's why you have a squad. So I think that's the um just one of the things that you have to get used to. Um the one thing I would say is maybe playing a team who aren't going to the Euros is a little bit dangerous. Because Romania, you know, Romania could have kicked England out of it um, and not been bothered that, you know, they they're not bothered about getting injured, but they couldn't mm. they one of them could realistically have gone. I'm going to absolutely boot Jack Grealish into next week um, and sod it because I'm not going to the Euros, and that that can kind of happen. But you know, everyone came through it unscathed. I think last night anyway, so that didn't happen. But we we seen it against Austria. They were very aggressive, but they were going to. The Euros anyway, so it was kind of different for them because they were just trying to get that aggression for their group games. I think Romania had nothing to lose, and that's kind of a little bit dangerous. But I do still think you've got to play play the games. I th- I'm not sure what you can do to get practice, um, you know, in in other ways that replicates a match situation. But yeah, um, I think you've got to play them. So what w- what would the alternative be? I think maybe. Could you play an England A team against an England B team? You know, 26-man mm. squad, 11 on each side and bring in a, a few, you know, ringers for, for substitutions and, and then everyone's kind of, you know, not trying that's to... That's just in... training though, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it is. Just well, it that's is. what you
2: do, behind closed it... doors training. I don't, I don't really know not the Could you know do that the at, the, at the middles?
1: Like, would you go and watch? I'd go and watch that, I think, if, if I had the chance to. Like, England's squad playing each other in a, in a proper uh, game.
2: England squad versus pundits. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Roy Keane battering everyone in the middle. <laughs>
1: Let's just have soccer raid all over again and see what happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there uh, you go. That's the sure. solution. Do that next time. <laughs> yeah, but no, you, you, you've got to play the games.
2: We'll leave that chat for England there. There will be more to come over the coming week. We're on three podcasts a week at the moment. Once the tournament gets back up to speed, we'll bring you podcasts for at least five a week, maybe a few more every now and again. So we'll no doubt get on to talking starting 11s and all that kind of stuff over the coming days on Football Social Daily. But we're going to talk transfers next. Some really interesting stories in the terms of who might be going where this summer. And we'll get on to it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk transfers. Some really interesting news on the back pages of the papers, starting with a done deal. I think this is the first big Premier League signing of the season. Aston Villa signing Emiliano Buendia
0: from Norwich, a signing that Villa fans,
2: well, should they be getting excited about this one, Niall?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't see why they shouldn't do. I mean, I think He was the championship player of the season. Norwich City won the championship quite comfortably. They were the best team in the championship last season. So, you know, he was awarded the the player of the season prize, 15 goals, 16 assists. And he was one of Norwich's better players when they got relegated from the Premier League last season. So I can absolutely see Mm. why they're getting excited by it. I think it's a, a club record fee for Norwich City, 33 million or in the region of... So, you know, Aston Villa have decided that this is someone they desperately want and and they've paid the money for him. Um, I think he's on international duty at the moment uh, with Argentina and and they've got a game coming up, I think, tomorrow against Colombia. So um, I don't think from what I've read that he's actually done the medical yet. So apparently he's going to play the game for Argentina against Colombia and then they'll do the medical after the game and then they'll deal with the rest of the transfer. Um, I can't see why it wouldn't go through Byron, a remarkable turn of events where he doesn't pass his medical, but you know, as they say, until he's, Mm. you know, being photographed, holding the shirt up, there's been a bit of a pre-statement from Aston Villa saying that they have reached an agreement for the transfer of Ben Buendia, but um, it's a great signing, I think for Aston Villa and, you know, they, have done pretty well in the transfer market the last couple of windows. Considering a couple of years ago when they first came up to the Premier League, they nearly got relegated by signing some dreadful players. Players like Marvellous Nakamba and uh, Trezeguet has been okay. But Wesley, I think I know he's been injured, but I still don't think he's good enough to be a Premier League striker. I just don't think they've made um, astute enough signings. However, last summer, bringing in the likes of Emi Martinez, who we know... Was up for our sports social nomination for possible signing of the season. Um, they, they've they've signed pretty well. Jack Grealish is obviously the glue that holds the team together. Um, I think that they've performed well. And Matty Cash was a good signing, so I think the signings they've made have done well. I do wonder what this means for Arsenal and whether, what their fans feel about this because Buendia has been a long time target for Mikel mm. Arteta, and I think Norwich were asking for around forty million last summer. Obviously, Norwich had just been relegated from the Premier League and Arsenal probably thinking coronavirus pandemic finances have been hit we don't want to pay 40 million but if this is 33 million that's a 7 million discount mm-hmm. on what the asking price initially was can be 40 if, million with add-ons from what it what could I've read. be read well yeah okay so that's if he scores a certain amount of goals or plays a certain amount of games a season whatever you know Villa finishing the Europa League spots that will probably give Norwich City a bit of extra cash it, it depends what those add-ons are but why aren't Arsenal in the running for this? If they've wanted him for that long and he's available for £33 million, why have Arsenal been outbid by Aston Villa? Well, it's I, just find that, I find him, that it? it is embarrassing. Because
2: either they haven't got the money or, or, Buende has chosen, or Buende might have chosen Villa over Arsenal,
0: which I wouldn't rule out the possibility of either. He might well have done. So I think that, you know, Arsenal are a big club, Villa are a big club too. They're They're, they're one of the institutions of... Premier League football, I think, or English top flight football over the years. Um, I think they are the biggest club in Birmingham. No disrespect to Birmingham City fans. And Birmingham's obviously the second city, one of the hugest cities in England. Uh, they've won a European Cup. They're, you know, they're a great club, Aston Villa. I do, do you know what I do wonder is whether they've signed this kind of attacking midfielder because Jack Grealish is on his way. And, and I know there's been reports suggesting Villa aren't selling him. Jack Grealish isn't for sale. I'm still convinced that he's off to Man City. So I just wonder whether this might just be cover instead. Because do Buendia and Grealish play in the same team? Because they both play quite similar positions. So, I mean, there's no there's no reason why they couldn't do um, I'm sure Villa and Dean Smith have thought about it plenty. But um, no, great signing on the whole. Uh, that aside, a great signing for Villa, I think. And I'm excited to see how he gets on because he was good for Norwich in a relegated team. And, and Villa are hoping not to be that. They're hoping to kick on and, you know, be a top 10 side in the next couple of years. So, yeah, fair play to them and hope it works out. Interesting you mentioned the future of Jack
2: Grealish because the Guardian are also linking Villa with a move for James Ward-Prowse from Southampton, who Southampton are saying that he's not for sale, but the right bid comes in, you never know what's going to happen. That three-man midfield, James Ward-Prowse, Jack Grealish, Buendia, although looking great for Aston Villa, also does hint that Grealish might be on his way, Marley. Uh,
1: Yeah, sort of. I I think Villa are quite... You know, they're they're starting to to show really good um signs in the transfer window. You know, they signed Sanson in in um January. Bertrand Chioria last summer was a was a really good signing. Um I don't know, cash as well. I I I'm not sure how I'm not sure how much cash they've got to you know, whether they need to sell Grealish. I think maybe this is a move to sort of say you know, I think when you said Cash you meant Matty Cash <laughs> as a <laughs> signing
2: I thought you were talking about <laughs> yeah because he was, he was, he's a good player and he's a good acquisition from Forest yeah, last Cash, year
1: as well th- was, it, was it January the summer sign? but yeah um, he's been quality as well so they're, they're getting the transfers right recently I don't think there's any that have came in and not done anything Watkins has been great Martínez was one of the best players of the season uh, Cash was great so you know I don't know if they need to sell him but I think if I don't know, maybe if he came along and said, I want to go to Man City, can you really deny a player that, that opportunity to, to go and play in that team in, in, um, it, with that manager at this time and guarantee yourself trophies and Premier Leagues and possible European Cups? You know, um, I'm not sure you can, but I don't really think this is a, I don't know, I'm not inclined to think this is a replacement for him. Um, the one thing I do think about the whole thing is it's just it's so embarrassing for Arsenal that they've been after Buendia for a year or so, and you know they can't compete with Aston Villa. That's that's a really um, depressing state of of play for for Arsenal to to get outbid by Aston Villa, and, and or we can't compete with them because Buendia is coming up from the Championship, and he's picked. You know, one mid-table team over another, but one of them has, you know, been in Europe for the last twenty-five years or whatever it's been. And Arsenal can't compete with Aston Villa. It's it's bizarre, but that's that's where it, that's where the two teams are. One seems to be on an upward upward trajectory, and the other ones on a, a slow downward tumble, like Arsenal. So, you know, fair play to Buendia. He's he's chose uh, he's chose the place where he's probably going to get in the team every week. Um, and if if Villa can stay. You know, um, still keep Grealish and, and keep him in that team. You know, Grealish, Buendia, Watkins, um, Treore, all these players are very good. Um, very good proposition for next uh, next season. I think it's also quite telling about the future of Ross Barkley, who
2: probably won't be staying at Aston Villa on loan for another season. Probably hasn't got any role to play at Chelsea, so it'll be interesting to see where his next step is. This summer. Speaking of Arsenal, they failed to get Buendea, but apparently they are now looking at bringing in Ruben Neves from Wolves. This is according to the Daily Mail. He's seen as a ideal replacement for Granit Zaka. So I guess Arsenal fans can get excited about two things one, the departure of Zaka, and the other, the arrival of Neves. So two birds with one stone. Do you think that's a transfer that could happen, Niall? And are we going to see this exodus from Wolves now with Nuno Sanchez leaving and his Portuguese revolution that he had in the black country
0: do you think we're slowly going to see these players moving away? I'm not sure because they've just appointed Bruno Lage who is the Benfica manager or he was at Benfica and he was also the assistant to Carlos Cavalial at Sheffield Wednesday and Swansea City so their new manager Bruno Lage has got experience managing in England or at least being a coach in England in both the Premier League and the Championship. And he's also got the Portuguese background that obviously is a key factor when it comes to being the manager of Wolves. So I'm not too sure just yet. I think we'll have to wait and see. I don't think that's officially been announced by Wolves. I think there were some issues around Brexit, funnily enough, where Lager didn't pass the Brexit requirements. I'm not entirely sure what those would be, but I think he's been given a pass by the DCMS to come in and, and, and start his career um, coaching again uh, at the top level in, in English football. So um, that's yet to be announced, but I think it's very much uh, done and dusted, that new Wolves appointment. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the podcast when it does get officially announced, but I'm not so sure whether we'll see a Portuguese exodus, but I do think they've got some very good players. I was gutted to see Pedro Neto got injured towards the end of the season, because I think he's been Wolves' best player this year, and Wolves have had a poor season Um by their lofty standards that they set for themselves by finishing seventh twice in a row before this campaign. So I hope Pedro Neto comes back because I think he's a he's a player who's only 20 and he's just got such potential and he's already shown the qualities that he's got. So uh, I, I just wonder um, how well he'll do in the next couple of years recovering from that injury because I think he's certainly one to watch. Uh, Ruben Neves is one that has been talked about for a while by several clubs. He had a great season when Wolves got promoted to the Premier League, scoring ridiculous long-range goals Dictating the tempo of the play from the middle of the park. I've seen a few Manchester United fans say that they quite fancy Ruben Neves in midfield, um, but yeah, I think Arsenal is one of those where you just don't know with Arsenal. Like their consistency in the transfer market over the last few years has been abysmal. You know, Willian was one of the worst signings of the season last year, and I know he was a free, but the wages and what he ended up actually delivering. David Luiz, I think, is going to be leaving Arsenal as knee, he? so he's gone. So uh, Granite Xhaka, another one, as you say, he's gone. So I just think that actually, you know, we're talking about an overhaul at Arsenal and Mikel Arteta needing time to get it right. How much How much time does he need? How many transfer windows does he need? Because Arsenal have finished, what is it, 8th, 9th? And, I mean, Ruben never should be a good signing for Arsenal. I just can't see it happening. I just can't see it happening. I mean, Wolves to Arsenal is a step up. There's no doubt about that. In terms of the size of the club, the wages, etc., etc., but at the moment, it's just hard to see Arsenal signing anyone and getting it right. They can't even—they couldn't even sign Buendia. If they couldn't agree a deal for Norwich with Norwich for Buendia of forty million, Wolves aren't going to sell Ruben Neves to them, are they? For for anything that the, you know, Neves is probably worth as much as Buendia. and I can't see from the logic that's being applied here from what we've seen between Villa and Norwich in this Buendia transfer. And then Arsenal sort of being the outlier here. I just can't see it happening. Um, You know, I might be wrong. I mean, he'll probably be holding a scarf up tomorrow, won't he, at the Emirates now I've said that. But to be fair, I just can't see it. It's one of those ones where if it happens, then fine. But it's just one of those ones where you just can't visualise it. Well, Arsenal needs to do something in the transfer market if
2: they're going to regain their top six or even top four place. Because Leicester City are making some really interesting potential signings this summer. A number of players being linked with a move to the Foxes. Uh, Jonas Hoffman, who, according to the Leicester Mercury, is available from Borussia Mönchengladbach for €40 million. Euros. They also want Bukhari Sumer, who we've talked about before, from Lille. And they're interested in Tammy Abraham, should he become available. Some really ambitious signings for that Leicester City. And players that you can see really improving the strength and depth of their squad as well, Marley.
1: Yeah, I think um, the guys are getting linked with are, are, uh, are exciting players. You know, um, they've not got much wrong as we've, we've talked about, haven't we? In in recent sort of weeks and months, that Leicester haven't got much wrong in the transfer window. Um, recently, I think, I mean, Chengi's Under wasn't the best last season, but he was on loan and there was no obligation to buy or, or you know, plan to buy him, so you could let him go quite simply and. You know the likes of Fafana and Soyuncu and Tielemans was a fantastic signing um, when a lot of big clubs wanted him, but they wanted him that little bit more and got him on a loan to to prove sort of how good they were, and then and then completed the the permanent signing. But yeah, the um, you know Sumaria was probably maybe Leal's best player. I mean, Burak Yilmaz was fantastic up front, but in terms of you know the the, the way Lille played, he was a massive part of, of that. He was very, very combative and energetic in the middle of the field and did everything you need to do the, from, a, from a midfielder, so he looks a really positive uh, signing if they can get him in and provide some um, some more sort of engine in midfield and play him alongside Tielemans. You've got the physicality and the, the guile then in midfield and you can have Madison ahead of them. It looks a really exciting team when you can get everyone stitched together and if you can go and get Abraham, you sort out your striker position for the next five or six years. If if he does, if he lives Which they up they need to, his... to start thinking
2: about, don't they, with Vardy. We've yeah. said it for a while now, Vardy is getting on. And at some point, he's not going to have the same pace that he did have. And it, they need to start thinking about the next generation now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, he and had a great season and, uh, but can you know is he the long term solution we we don't know yet he, he might be he's certainly playing to that level definitely but you know can he can he have that consistency um to do it for another year and then another year after that and score another 15 20 goals um we don't know where his ceiling is yet so you know it is probably worth going and getting someone like Tammy Abraham if he becomes available and you've got the funds to do so which I, I think they do after you know qualifying for europe in the last um couple of years even though it wasn't the champions league but still you know Leicester are they're a proper club they get they're getting everything right and it's it's good to see them linked with with promising players with the best years ahead of them because it fits in with that whole dynamic of you know buy buy young and promising and if you have to sell them you sell them for a hell of a load of money and you go and sign someone else so if you go and produce chilwell you can sell him for 50 million or you can go and if they sold in DD you would probably go for sixty or fifty or sixty. So then they'd go and sign someone else. So they're getting they're getting some good business done, and you know, a long way to continue for Leicester because they're a, they're a club that is hard to dislike. They're doing everything right, so fair fair play. Final one is a player that I think could be potentially exciting
2: in the Premier League if he gets a move. We saw him in the Premier League last season with West Brom, Matthias Pereira, 25 years old. He's been told he can leave the Championship Club and has a price tag of just 15 million quid. That's of interest to Aston Villa again. Brighton also interested. This is according to Team Talk. For 15 million quid, Niall, there should be 15 or so teams biting their hands off, shouldn't there? 15 million quid is
0: nothing in the current market. Yeah, 100%. Um, What I would say is I don't know too much about team talk as a source and I don't want to talk them down in terms of their reliability or credibility. That's not something I want to do, but I can't say um, I've heard this anywhere else. So I don't know if this is is an exclusive from them, but it does seem remarkably cheap, doesn't it? £15 million Mm. to sign someone who was quite clearly West Bromwich Albion's best player in the Premier League last season. Um, he's certainly proven uh, as a 25-year-old now that he can perform in the Premier League. And certainly I think that that bottom half, that bottom cluster of top flight clubs are the sort of clubs that should be taking a punt on him. Um, And I don't even think it will be a punt, Jim. I think that that's the wrong word to use, the wrong sentence to use. I think he's proven, as I said, in a baggy shirt last season that he is comfortably good enough to play in the top flight. So yeah, certainly if £15 million is the asking price, i think that plenty of premier league clubs should be taking a look at his qualities and his abilities because you know in the market that we see at the moment people are wondering whether it's going to explode um obviously not due to the coronavirus pandemic we thought that last year and then chelsea went and dropped 200 million on a couple of players so um it's hard to read the market at the moment seems to be a lot of moving and shaking going on at the moment but for 15 million i think even, in the midst of sort of a football financial crisis I think that's very much affordable for top flight clubs so certainly yeah um, if he is available for that price then I I think Villa or Brighton or whoever else might be interested would be remiss to at least make a couple of inquiries because I think he is a a very good midfielder and can do a job in the Premier League still for sure you mentioned it's not a gamble because
2: he impressed so much last season which way does it work do you think with a player playing in a team that ends up getting relegated particularly a team like West Brom with the utmost respect lacked a little bit of quality last season if you're a great player in a poor team do you stand out more or if you're a great player in a poor team is it more difficult to then make an impact on games
0: no, it's a hard one because actually you can go back to the Emiliano Buendia signing. He was good for Norwich in the Premier League, but he was excellent for Norwich in the Championship. Mm. Um Todd Cantwell, another one at Norwich, who played well. And actually if you look at that Norwich team that got relegated last season, who is it? Godfrey went to Everton. Jamal Lewis at Newcastle was also signed from Norwich as well. So if you look at the, you know, the, the players that they had as an example as a side that finished bottom of the Premier League, I don't know whether it was the way they played or whatnot, but they showed plenty of promise and plenty of ability, even though they finished bottom of the pile. So it's, it's a tough one to, to suggest, really. But I mean, I think that you've always got that chance as a player that if you finish in a team that gets relegated, you always give yourself uh, a chance to kind of open the shop window, let's just say, if you play well in a team that goes down. Interestingly, you can contrast the Norwich team that finished bottom last season with the Sheffield United team that finished bottom this season. How many of those players are you thinking of picking up? It's it's very interesting how it works. So I guess it kind of varies from season to season. But I do think Pereira has been, he's quite easily been their standout player. Now, that's not to say that if he went to Brighton, he would be their best player. So I think Leandro Trozard's a very good signing that they've made down there at Brighton. And I think probably is a bit better than Pereira. So... You know, it's one of those where it's it's hard to tell, but um I think he's earned a chance in the Premier League again, there's no doubt about that. And that is it. We'll leave it there for Football Social Daily. More transfer news
2: to come over the next few weeks. We'll try and keep an eye on that as well as the European championships. Marley Nile, thank you very much. Cheers guys. Cheers, Jim. You can get the latest news on your team. You can listen as well as read the latest transfers, manager comings and goings, et cetera, et cetera, at sport-social.co.uk. Plus, go find your next favourite podcast, as well as finding more episodes of Football Social Daily on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?